A world is now only moments away from total annihilation. The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. There will be a worldwide challenge. You can see it right now beginning to develop. And then there will be many, many people who will be killed. And there's going to be chaos, and there's going to be incredible danger. Unlike the world could ever imagine. The last days of the world. All right, it's great to see you this morning. As Kevin was saying, we had a great weekend last weekend, and uh, that was actually a record attendance for us, and we're really grateful. If you had some part, you know, if you, if you prayed, if you invited, if you served in some way, uh, just, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing and, and really you having an impact on people and, and, and being used by God. As God's word tells us, we're his ambassadors as oh God, we're making his appeal through us. Well, you are a part of that process, and so we appreciate so much you being a, a part of what God's doing here at Grace. Almost a year ago, I told you about this strange thing we got going on at our house in our fenced-in backyard where these stuffed animals show up. It's just, it's just weird. Don't really get it. Um, it, we had one show up a few weeks ago again. Yeah, he's, um, don't, don't know what this is all about. Uh, if you weren't here when I talked about this before, about two or three times a year, we'll look out in our backyard and there'll be a stuffed animal out there and, and uh, don't know who's doing it, don't know why they're doing it, never see anybody. If you know where we live, you know, there's, there's no house on top of us anywhere. It's like somebody has to walk purposefully to our backyard and toss these things in there. And uh, sometimes we catch them before the dogs chew them up and sometimes we don't. Um, if you happen to be the person doing this, I will provide counseling. Uh, <laughs> I think you might need it. Um, so, uh, you know, all of us find the unknown sort of interesting, don't we? I mean, we're always, if, if something's unknown, we're, it's, it, it draws us in. And then, then we really appreciate it when we get some answers. And we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at things that other, we would not have known on our own, except for the fact that God provides the answers for us in his word. We're going to talk about what's ahead, what's sometimes called the end times. And we all want to know not only what's ahead, for, we like to know what's ahead for our own lives, don't we? I mean, that's why we turn on the news and we watch the weather forecasts. Even though we know a lot of times they're not correct, we turn on to watch it anyway. If you got into the NFL draft in the last few days, I mean, how many mock drafts were done out there? You know, just every, just all over the place, mock drafts predicting where guys are going to go, what team they're going to go to, when they're going to go. All these people want to know what's ahead. We all want to know what's ahead for ourselves. We want to know what's ahead for the world. It's much bigger. And that's what we're going to be talking about. But in order to get started looking at what's coming, we're first today going to look at, go back and try to uh, build a foundation for the rest of the series. It's like we're going to set the table today, and in the next weeks, we're actually going to bring out the meat, okay? So it's something to look forward to. 
But the way we'll know what we're going to be talking about is to look today back at the Old Testament. Specifically, they were going to talk about the reliability of the Bible when it comes to predictive prophecy, which is huge for us in these coming weeks. Otherwise, people might be asking, hey, when we're talking about the details of what's ahead, I mean, who's to say? Who's to say what's right? How do we know what's right? Sure, the Bible gives us some certain events and details of the future, but who's to say that it's right? So in order to have these answers, we're going to go back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and look at an example of prophecy that was given and then it was eventually fulfilled in the hundreds of years that were ahead at that time, which as we look back at it now, we see the fulfillment and its example of the reliability of prophecy in the scripture. So we can trust what we're looking at in the weeks ahead. So the book of Daniel, we believe Daniel finished up his writing sometime around 530 BC, the sixth century BC. There are those that argue that it was written much later. And I think they argue that really uh, many of them coming from a skeptical background. And I think it clearly makes a point. That point being that they don't want to accept something that is supernatural. They don't want, they can't imagine a God who could give the future and explain it hundreds of years ahead of time. So they go to the book of Daniel and whoever they believe might have written it, which they don't really know, they're just throwing out whoever and saying he wrote, somebody wrote this much, much hundreds of years later so that they're after the fact so they can explain it. But their reasons for dating it that late are not good reasons. They're not as good of reasons as the ones for dating it early. And, and there are a number of reasons we could go to, but for me, just one of the simplest, clearest, best reasons that we could say that it was dated early is we could go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was also a sixth century Old Testament prophet. And as he's writing, he mentions Daniel three times. The fact that he mentions Daniel three times lets us know that Daniel was known, his writings were probably known, and he's known to Ezekiel and to the people there in the sixth century. So it's that early dated Daniel as he's writing that's so important for us to remember when we look at what we're going to look at today. We're in chapter two, and just a little background, what's going on at that time is this. The nation of Israel, if you remember, following Solomon's reign, split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and southern kingdom. That northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians in 721 BC. The southern kingdom lasted longer. It fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC. And then the people were taken captive. Daniel was one who was taken into captivity into Babylon. And he's there and he's writing from Babylon the king of Babylon at this time is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Nebuchadnezzar here in chapter 2 is in a bad mood, which he is often. Often in a bad mood. not getting enough sleep. It, it isn't doing him any good. It's not doing anyone else any good. He's had a dream that bothered him. And what's bothered him about that dream is he believes that there's meaning behind that dream that he doesn't understand. And so he's looking for an interpretation of that dream. So he called in his wise men. And, and these are several different groups of people. They're, they're known as magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, 
and the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans not being ethnic Chaldeans, but a special group of men known as the Chaldeans who were astrologers. And so he's got all these different groups. He brings in representatives of these groups to meet with him. And as these guys come in, they're, they're wanting to impress him. They're wanting to stay on his good side because he has the power to end their lives right there. And so they're like, oh, king, live forever. They're probably actually thinking, oh, boy, I hope he's in a good mood. You know, and his response to them isn't good. He comes up with a, a demand. He wanted them to tell him what the dream was and what it meant. I mean, can you imagine this? If somebody brought you in and, and says to you, okay, I had a dream last night. Can you tell me what it was? And then I want you to explain to me what that dream meant. And by the way, if you can't do that, I'm going to have you torn limb from limb. That's what Nebuchadnezzar tells these guys. If you can't tell me what the dream is, and you can't tell me what it meant, I'm going to have you torn limb from limb, and then on top of that, I'm going to have your houses turned into trash. I'm going to turn them into a dump site, which just strikes me as funny. I mean, does it really matter? <laughs> Once you've been torn limb from limb, what happens to your house? You know, I don't think so. But he's just piling it on. And they're not sure what to do. All because they would be viewed as fakes. They would have deceived people into thinking they had special powers. On the other hand, if they can tell the dream and its interpretation, they win the jackpot. He, he's going to promote them. He's going to give them gifts. He's going to give them rewards and great honor. He's going to make them rich and famous. These wise men are like, though, hey, hey, King, wait. I'll tell you, tell you what, King, we've got an idea. It's a little bit different. How about you tell us the dream, and then we'll give you an interpretation. They're very carefully telling, pointing out to him, this isn't going to work. Which only makes Nebuchadnezzar more mad. He says to him, basically, I know what you're doing. You're just bargaining for time. You're wanting more time so you can come up with some way of working your way around this. But their point is, nobody can do this. There's not a man on earth that can tell you the dream along with the meaning. And by the way, king, no other king has ever asked for anything like this. Very carefully telling him, you're nuts. You know? And, and they say the only one that could ever do what you're asking is a God. Which is actually a really good point they're making. If a guy could tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream and what it meant, that's not just some ordinary guy. The ability to do that would have to be something beyond what's natural. I mean, if you had a dream... And somebody could walk in and tell you what your dream was in detail and what's going to happen in the future. That would blow you away. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is demanding happen here. And these wise men, they determined this guy would have, to, anybody who could do this had to be a god. Ironically, in a way, again, they sort of got it right. They know it, it's going to take something supernatural, only it wasn't just some god. It was the god and the man he chose to use. But Nebuchadnezzar, he's not having it. 
We're told he became indignant and very furious. He became indignant and very furious. You get the picture. They could have just said he became indignant. They could have just said he became very furious. No, he became indignant and very furious. He's out of control, bad. And so he sent for all the wise men to have them brought in to be executed. You know, this is where the dismemberment is supposed to begin. Even those who weren't there, when he brought in those first groups, he's having all the wise men brought in now, including Daniel, who had risen in prominence among the Babylonians and was considered by Nebuchadnezzar as one of his wise men. Daniel, though, as he comes, makes a request to Nebuchadnezzar, asking for time to be able to interpret the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar grants him the time. And Daniel went away and he began to pray. He got together with his three friends. Remember the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He, he gets his friends together with him, and they begin to pray, asking for something that no one had ever done. Even Joseph, if you remember Joseph back in Egypt, he gave the meaning of a dream to Pharaoh, but he didn't have to reconstruct the dream. Here's Daniel doing something no one's ever done, but he's trusting in God, the sovereign God, who is real and limitless. And so God Gave him the answer. He told Daniel what the dream was and what it was about. And Daniel goes to a guy named Ariok. Ariok was the, the uh, captain of the bodyguard for, um, for Nebuchadnezzar. And, he, and Ariok had been the one who was sent out to gather together all these wise men and have them killed. And so Daniel goes to him and says, don't kill anyone. Instead, take me to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he brings Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and there Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel if he can tell him the dream and interpret it. And I appreciate the way Daniel answers. You know, he doesn't immediately say, yeah, I, I've got this. Uh, you know, I've, I, I can fully explain this. Let me tell you, I, I'm gifted, and I have certain abilities, and I can do this. He, he doesn't go that route. Instead, he points out, again, just a reminder, King, none of your other wise men could do this. Just want to make that clear. You're remembering that, right? Yeah. And then he gives credit to God. He's pointing out that it's not Daniel that's able to do this on his own, but the God of heaven. Reading from Daniel chapter 2, verse 27, Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the vision in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Well, it's God, Daniel says, it's not me, it's God. And this is good news. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. It, in contrast to all the pagan gods that were hanging around Babylon, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. 
He can actually reveal truth that was unknown to anyone else. That was true then. That's also true now. For all the things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks, there's a God in heaven who has revealed to us what he's, what's coming ahead. He's given the truth to us in his word. We can trust what he tells us. And so as we go into the next few weeks and we're talking about what's coming ahead, we can know. Why? Because it's based on God himself, the very character of God. He's the one who's revealed it. And if he could reveal truth in the 6th century B.C. and hundreds of years go by and that truth come actually play out. The truth that we're going to be looking at will actually one day play out. Daniel goes on to tell the dream. In verse 31, it says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. The statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So Daniel's like, Nebuchadnezzar, your dream? in your dream there was this giant statue. It was made up of four different, the statue was made up of four different metals. Those metals, those different sections of the body representing different kingdoms. The head of gold, the breast and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron with feet of iron mixed with with clay. And don't you know that as Daniel's describing this to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar probably started leaning forward there on his throne. He's got to be amazed that this guy is getting it right. He's telling him what he dreamed. No one can do that. But here's Daniel doing it. And then Daniel describes what happened to the statue, how it was reduced to powder by a huge stone. And after the stone crushed the statue, it grew so big that it became a mountain and it filled the earth. Every detail was just like Nebuchadnezzar remembered his dream to be. So now he's waiting. Now he can't wait to hear the explanation of his meaning. He knows now that Daniel is speaking from God. So Daniel begins to explain. He starts with the head of gold. He tells Nebuchadnezzar and that he and the Babylonians are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar, he exercised unrestricted authority over life and death in all of Babylon. His word was law. But Daniel also reminds him that the power that he has, it's not his own, that it came from the God of heaven, the one who's explaining this whole dream in the first place. The second empire was it represented by the breasts and arms of silver? Not much is said here other than it's in reference that it's inferior to the Babylonians. He's referring to Medo-Persia, which began when Cyrus the, Great, Cyrus the Great conquered the Babylonians in 539 BC. So the, the Persians are around at that time as, as Daniel's finishing his writings. 
That kingdom lasted for about two centuries. And then the third empire that came along, less desirable, represented by the bronze belly and thighs, was the Greco-Macedonian Empire established by Alexander the Great. After Alexander died, we know his kingdom was split into four smaller regions ruled by his former generals, which Daniel explains. He explains that in chapter 8. We're not going to go there today. But in chapter 8, he gives more details in another explanation on the same subject. And he talks about that kingdom being split into four. That lasted for about 300 years before it was replaced by the fourth kingdom, that being Rome. Didn't have the value of gold or silver or bronze, but as iron, it had power, the power to crush any opponents. We know that in the future, there will be a revived Roman Empire made up of a federation of nations that verse 41 is suggesting. And, and, and again, Daniel goes into further detail in chapter 7. That's something we'll be talking about probably more in the weeks ahead. So not only did Daniel tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream, but he gives an interpretation of it that covers hundreds of years into the future. And now we know, looking back, that what he said was exactly right. So how in the world is that possible? How is it possible that a guy could come up with what the dream was and then on top of that get the meaning of it right hundreds of years in advance? How is that possible? Well, it's possible because we know Daniel knew the one who has control over times and kingdoms. See, after being given the answers about the dreams, Daniel talked about God. So back in verse 19, this is what we read. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and acknowledges the, to men of under, and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we request of you, for you made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel, being shown the meaning and, the, and what was in the dream, steps back to take some time just to acknowledge God what he had done, who he is. See, there are two of God's attributes emphasized here, his power and his wisdom, his power over all the events in history. He changes the times and the epics. He removes kings. He establishes kings. And then wisdom. He gives wisdom to wise men. He reveals profound and hidden things. And so Daniel is praising God for giving him the answer to his prayer, to know and understand the king's dream. Daniel is amazed by God's goodness to him. And not only is Daniel blown away by him, but Nebuchadnezzar is blown away as well. If you look over at verse 46, Nebuchadnezzar then responds to what Daniel's told him. And it says there, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, and you have been able to reveal this mystery 
since you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. With this great mystery solved, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. That's amazing. This despot who had just ordered the execution of all the wise men was now on his face before this guy who's a captive from another country and a second-rate country at that. But he acknowledges, Daniel, your God is a God of gods. Notice he doesn't say he's the one true God. To Nebuchadnezzar, he's just the top God, which is the way a lot of people sort of treat him. You know, they don't, they don't see him as unique. He's not the one true God. He's just an option. Maybe a good option when they need him, but still just an option among all the other lesser gods that they serve. But here's the point. If Daniel recognized that only God could do what he did, and if Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, also recognized that, and if God can remove kings and establish kings, if he can sovereignly reign over time and epochs, then when he reveals the profound and hidden things, we can know that we're, what we're being told is reliable. If he could tell Daniel what was going to happen hundreds of years in advance, if he could tell Daniel what the dream was, That's why in the weeks ahead, as we look at what God's told us about what's coming, we can know that our source is reliable. It's logical and reasonable to accept what he's given to us as truth. So if someone was ever challenging you about the future, about what we believe is going to happen. There's evidence for us that the prophecy of the scriptures is something we can trust because we can look back at other examples as well, but this example in particular from Daniel chapter 2 that shows us God doing exactly what we're saying he can do today and he will do today. The good news for us is to know that the God who has the future of the world in his hands also has us in his hands. We can trust what he's going to do with the world, and we can trust what he does in our lives as well. What's happening in your life right now may seem like a mystery to you, but the God of heaven, the God who changes the times and the epics, who removes kings and establishes kings. Also is the God who loves you with an unlimited love. And he's got you in his hands. You can trust him. It doesn't matter how confused or messed up your life may seem right now. You can trust him. 
had a good friend back years ago now. Uh, I, I was, we were living in North Carolina. I was in a church there. And this, this friend of mine, uh, guy, we, we'd grown close. We hunted together. We fished together. Um, he was a new believer. He'd lived sort of a rough life before coming to Christ. Yeah. He'd been shot. He'd been stabbed. He's a big, strong guy. He'd been a, a bouncer in a bar. Um, uh, he'd been involved in just about everything you can think of. But a good guy, good guy. And he'd come to Christ now. His life has completely changed. But he's going through some really, really tough things. And, and one Saturday morning, there's a knock at our door, and I step outside, and there's Tony. And he's, and he's, and he's, just, he's just sort of broken. And he's talking to me about all this stuff that's going on in his life. And he's like, I, I just want to know why. And I'm like, you know, Tony, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a couple of answers here. And while I, when I do that, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to wrap this up in a neat little box with a bow on it and say, you know, all's, everything's good. I get that what you're going through is difficult. It's tough. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But we, get, we have to have something to hold on to, right? And so here's, here's what I know, Tony. Couple of things. You know, we all know Romans 8:28. A lot of us do. That God's working for our good in everything, right? That almost sounds too easy for people, though, doesn't it? Is it answer when they're going through difficult times? Yeah, it's easy for me to say that because I wasn't going through those times. But Verse 29 goes on to tell us specifically how God's working for our good. That we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So the question it brings to me is, okay, if what I'm going through, no matter how difficult it may be, if part of the plan is for God to make me more like his son, Is that good enough for me? Is that a good enough answer that I can hang on to? Is that a f- something that I can grab hold of that when I'm going through a difficult time, I know this. I may not know some specific reason why other than this, but I know this. God wants to make me more like his son in this. Okay. I can hang on through that because I want to be made more like him more than anything else. And the other thing, you know, Tony, I I said to him, if God were to say to you, write it across the sky, Tony, this is why I'm doing this. Let me give you the reason why. Probably, in our minds, that still isn't going to be enough. Because what we're really wanting to know from God is, God, can you take this away from me? Nothing wrong with us asking that, right? Even Jesus asked the Father, or if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nothing wrong with us asking that. 
But I'm afraid sometimes what we want to do is we want to, we're good with being made more like Jesus. But we want to be made more like him without having to do the suffering part of it. just doesn't work sometimes. We've got to sometimes go through our own difficulties to be made more like him. Answering the question why, if God told us why, probably we walk away going, that's great God, but what I really want is you to take this from me anyway. Here's what I know. I don't know what you're going through in your life. I don't know what mysteries you have, what difficulties you're dealing with. I know those are very real to you, but I know this. The God of heaven, the God who sets up kings and establishes kings and removes kings and holds and controls epics and times, he loves you and your life is in his hands and you can trust him right in the middle of that difficulty. And if you don't know him, you don't have a relationship with him, he wants that from you. He's offered it to you. All you have to do is turn to him without doing anything yourself. You just ask him to come into your life based on what Jesus did on the cross to forgive you of your sin come into your life. He'll establish a relationship with you. He will forgive your sin. He will give you an eternal destiny with him, and he will walk through this life with you, and you'll be able to trust him through every moment of every day the rest of your life. The God of heaven is in control. He reveals mysteries. He lets us know. He's let us know what's ahead for the world, we get to trust him in that. And in the weeks ahead, we get to trust him with what he's told us. We can accept it. And so it's exciting for me to be able to think about what we're gonna see in his word about what's coming. So you wanna be back and be a part of that. But I also want you to walk out of here today knowing that you can trust God with whatever it is you're dealing with in life. Because that same God loves you and has you in his hands. Would you stand with me? We'll pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your goodness, your greatness. We thank you, God, that we serve a God who's in control. You've never stepped away from your throne, God. You've never uh, given up power. You've never added power. You are all powerful. You've got everything you need, everything that we need. So, Father, we turn to you today and just acknowledge, God, again, your goodness. And today we'd ask, God, if there's somebody here, if there's people here that are struggling with issues, that they'd just be able to rest in you, trust you. And, God, we look forward to talking about what's ahead for the world, the things that you've revealed. Thank you, God, for being a God who does reveal, who lets us know what we need to know. And so, Father, we look forward to spending that time in your word to know clearer in a more uh, distinct way what you have planned for our lives and the lives of, of the people around us. We love you today. We thank you for loving us. We ask God that you bless us as we help us to be faithful to you in all that we do. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name.